So today we're going to, we're actually going to look in the, in the New Testament book, one of the Gospels. Within your Bible, you have uh, uh, the Word of God between Genesis and Revelation brought together in two sections, uh, what's called the Old Testament and the New Testament. And in this New Testament section, it starts out with four accounts of the person Jesus Christ and, and, and his life. And, and there's a, one with uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so today we're going we're gonna to look a little bit in Luke. I'd love to be able to, to share the word of God with people. I, I don't like being in front of people. Um, people say, oh, you're so relaxed. Well, you only see the outside. But uh, what I do love to share is the word of God. Because you're going to leave here with the word of God. You're going to continue on your journey called life. And I, my desire, and as a church, as the leadership team, we want to help you know the Word of God so that you can continue and even grow in a closer relationship with, with the person we know to be Jesus, who is the Christ. And so you'll be here maybe for a few weeks or years or whatever, and then you're going to be on with your journey. And so I love to be able to just dig in and just go into the Word of God. So we're actually going to do that today. I've titled the message, Choose Love. Um, you have made choices already today. Um, I'm just going to guess you were probably up late last night, didn't sleep real well. You said first service ain't going to happen. There could have been other reasons, but you're like, hey, we'll do third. So there's a choice. You made certain choices throughout life. We're constantly making different choices. And, and I think it's important when things get really busy and kind of complicated that we, if you could imagine this picture, just to hit pause on all the stuff around you, all the things within you is like pause and kind of get a reset, a refresh. It's like, okay, what's really important and what, because things are chaotic and how do I calm them? And so it's like, okay, let me just get a reset. Let me just boil it down to the foundational realities of my life and let me reason from within that framework. And so today I want to encourage you. That's going to be kind of our approach. I want to give you uh, a consideration and then we'll... Um, Pray, and then I'll set the stage a little bit for our text. A consideration is that when you read the Bible, you're, you're reading it to learn it, not just from a memorization perspective, but to actually put it into practice to know how to do it. And when you're reading, you're reading about people. Like specifically our text for today, we're going to read about how Jesus engaged with his followers. You know, there's many people in the world today, and, and many of those people... Um, would call themselves, say they, they'd use the term Christian. But sadly, among many who use the title Christian, their lifestyle doesn't reflect what the title implies. So I actually like to think of it more from the perspective, and it's just how I work it out, Christ follower. So Jesus spoke to his followers. You could use the term disciple, but his followers. And, and when we read about that, and even our text today, I want you to see that they represent you and me. You know, obviously, you weren't able to be there. I didn't get to be there. But in the big picture, those who are around Jesus represent all of humanity. We fit into one of three groups, generally speaking. We fit into one, the group, like some of them in this text we'll even read about. You've responded to his invitation and received forgiveness and new life. Uh, the, the Bible would unveil this in another term referring to you're born again, born of the Spirit. You believe he's the only way and you can be forgiven of your sins only by him. 
Therefore, you put your trust in him. And that's a Christ follower. And so that's one group of people at this time we're reading about and in this time we live. There's another group of people, if you would, that have received the invitation. They're forgiven of their sins, yet they're still too closely attached to the things of this life to the things of this world. We know what happened with the, with the followers because there was one point that's recorded in John chapter 6 where Jesus presented a really tough teaching. It was hard for them to wrap their mind around what he presented. And he presented it so they would have to stop and think about what life would really be and what it meant to follow him. And we're told in verse 66 of John 6 of his disciples, it says that, and from that time, many of his disciples turned back and walked with him no more. See, they were his followers, but they're saying, this is just too hard. I can't wrap my mind around what you're saying. And so they moved to the back of the bus. They moved to the back of the crowd, if you would. They no longer were going to the front to really get a sense of what he had to say. They were too closely attached to comfort what they perceived things should be, how they thought it should be. So is that not a group of people in this time and even our day? You know, some people are born again, but they just are, are, they're just caught, they're torn in how to let go of one thing and hold on to the truth. Now, there's one other group, not only is there two that would be in the category of believers, I guess you could say, but there's also a group of people at that time who didn't believe that Jesus was God. They chose to reject his invitation of forgiveness and new life. They basically said, that's not my deal. Some of them were antagonistic, was literally what we would know to be enemies of his. They went around trying to interfere and catch him at something and say that his words weren't right, he's not true, this isn't who he says he is. Others were more covert or just hanging back. I looked in my life just in reflection in preparation for today, and I thought about how there was a season before I became a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, when functionally... I was willing to wait and see, it how, see how it all works out in the end. I didn't see any reason. I, I worked five days a week. I had two days off. Why in the world would I waste one of those days sitting in a church? That was my way of thinking. I'm not going to go, I mean, I only get two. If, my, if they'll pay me to go to church, I'll do that on a Wednesday. That's a good deal. But I'm not going to waste the day off because, see, I was, I, and I knew mortality. I knew reality. I used to race motocross. I was into a various really like adrenaline sports, which is just a really nice way of, you know, motorized stupidity kind of a thing, you know. So I just loved the, the rush of that stuff. And I didn't see how I could give it up because, you know, it wasn't until a couple situations that contributed to my waking up, you know, just, well, we'll just call them near-death experiences because <laughs> that's literally what they were. And I had, man, I, I was content just to wait and see how it works out. Just think about that thought. I'm just going to see how it works out in the end. Oh, okay, so you're going to reject Christ. Well, no, I'm not going to reject him. I'm not anti-Christ. Well, but a decision not to receive is a decision to reject. So I was willing to say, no, I don't want anything to do with it. I'll just see how it works out after I die. This, if you're there, could you just work that through a little bit? What is it about Jesus that you want nothing to do with? Well, there's a bunch of Christians that are hypocrites. Well, that's true. What's that got to do with Jesus? 
See, the reality is we want to get to know who Jesus is because you don't want to wait and see how it works out in the end because it doesn't work out well. It does not work out well. You have one chance in this life, or one, this life only is the way to see it. This life only to make a decision concerning the person, Jesus Christ. Jesus said to his followers, who do the people say that I am? And they scratch their head like, that's kind of an odd question. Um, some of them say you're Elijah the prophet. Some say you're John the Baptist. Come back. And, and then he, he, interesting, he said that to a group of followers. And he said to them, but, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And that's the question you and I, the most important question that you have to reconcile in this life. Who is Jesus to you? And so with that, hopefully we can look into our, our today as, our, as we're studying, that we can sort out, you know, kind of maybe what category we're in, so to speak, but then also what the truth of the gospel may be and how that would impact how the decisions we made. Let's pray. God, as we read today, as we consider your presence, as we look into your word, I pray, God, that we would experience comfort where, where comfort is needed. That, God, we would even have a sense of, of conviction, deep conviction to the truth, perhaps even correction, God, where we would be corrected. May you correct us where our thinking is off, our choices are in error. God, may we even understand in a deeper way how you are, who you are, and what you offer. Help us to know that. Help us to walk through this. Thank you, Jesus. Teach us your word today in your sweet name. In the name above every name. The name that every knee will bow and every tongue confess. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Well, let me set the stage. Uh, many of you know this story, but some may not. And let me just give you a, a very brief synopsis, a summary of where we're picking up here in Luke 24. Jesus has been in the area of Israel, of Jerusalem, and, and near over towards the Sea of Galilee. And he's been teaching the people about the kingdom of God. He, he, miraculous birth, really even an amazing childhood, but it picks up as a young adult, as a, as a man, say 30, who begins to teach about the kingdom of God. And he goes through this region, this area, and for over three years he taught the people. He instructed the misguided, and he performed miracles. And in doing that, the people noticed there was something distinct about him. See, he was just an itinerant teacher, I meaning a traveling teacher. He had the background of carpentry. But he begins to move around, and he's teaching about the kingdom of God. But he didn't do it the way everybody else did it. It wasn't the methodology. It was the man. He taught with such authority that the people went, wow, this guy actually believes what he's talking about. See, the others talked with such a persuasion, a type of promotion. They were presenting something that they really didn't follow. And here he comes and speaks with such authority. The word not meaning over the people, but literally with sincerity and truth to the people. He speaks with such authority. They're like, man, this guy, he, he, he gets it. Because he talked to him in language that you and I need to learn. The kingdom of God is like a man who casts out seeds so he can grow a crop. And he throws it out on the ground. And some of it sprouts right up on this type of soil and some of it over here. And do you see? 
He, he brought the beautiful truths of eternity in simple ways so that the average and most intelligent person even can take hold of this and chew on it for their life and be, and be changed by it. So he's teaching, but then he allowed himself to be arrested. He was falsely charged, brutally beaten, tortured, mocked, spit on, and then let out of town to be treated like a criminal and put to death. Now understand, at any moment, he could have annihilated all of his enemies and returned to heaven. Do you, we need to realize that. So the, the, the crucifixion and the, the terrible beating and all this wasn't something that mankind forced upon Jesus. It's actually something that Jesus allowed to take place. He allowed it to happen that way. He was actually in full control of the whole time. Now, you and I, we, we, we know ourselves well enough to know that if I'm compelled by love and I, I'm feeling fuzzy and emotional about the thought of love and I'm extending love to people, but they start trash talking, they start smacking, they start beating, they're going to burn. Right? You're going to hit lightning. Done. Start over. I mean, just think about the control. Think about what compelled God to come in human form and what kept him from, from like really just not hitting reset and starting over. He was compelled by love. He chose love. He's put into a tomb. His followers are scattered. They're confused. They're distraught. Everything has just changed dramatically. He's placed in this burial tomb, but Sunday morning... Sunday morning, he rose from the dead and began to appear to his disciples. He began to appear to his disciples. A couple guys on the road heading out of town, on the road to Emmaus, he appears to them and they're like, whoa. Once he, he walks with them for a long time, sits down with them and then kind of opens their eyes and they beat feet back to Jerusalem. They're actually in this portion we'll read. The women have come in and told the, the guys, hey, guess what, man? Jesus has risen. They went to the tomb and they come back and reported. And of course, you know, women talk a lot. And the guys were kind of functioning like some men today. They're male chauvinist morons. And so they don't listen to women because, you know, hey, God speaks to men. And guess what? God spoke, get this. God spoke of the resurrection to women first. I know that's going to upset some of you theology. Not my problem. The truth is he spoke to the women first. And they come and report it to the men. And then they went and checked it out. And then they're like all trying to sort it out. They're in this room. And in Luke 24, verse 36, these guys are talking it through. As they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. Verse 38, and he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do you, why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold, my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have a flesh, have flesh and bones as you see I have. Verse 40, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate in their presence. Let's just consider this. Notice verse 38. He has appeared to them. Let me, before I really focus on verse 38, can you, can you agree with me 
God actually has a sense of humor. Because here's what's happening. These people have gathered, and they've been following him, and then he went to the grave, but the report's out. He's there somewhere, and the two guys from Emmaus are in this room. They're like, no, seriously, it was him. And they're like, yeah, he appeared to Peter too, yeah. And then he just shows up, literally like through the walls, no opening the door, no doorbell, no ring to tell you who's there. He just shows up. And, and then he says, of course, peace to you, because they're freaking out. They're like, oh. <laughs> last night, uh, I was you know, getting ready for this morning, of course, and I like to come over here, there's no one's around, and I was sitting in the back row, got my arms on the chair, and I'm just sitting back, and I got my Bible here, and I'm, I'm just thinking through, the lights are out except for that backlight, and I'm just kind of thinking through the message, and it was really relaxing and calming, and somebody comes in the back door. So I hear the door into my office opening, like, hmm. And then I see the lights come on. And of course, you know, I should be at this point, you would all do the same. You'd, you'd say, hey, I'm in here. But, you know, I didn't. I just sat there, kind of in the middle, right off the side. And Pastor Jonah comes through. The light comes on. And I see this curtain's open. I see him walk by. And he walks by. And he gets to this, through this opening. And he, he sees something in the sanctuary. So he stops like, and he looks back, and, and that's when I chose to say hi. <laughs> hi, Jonah. But he just literally had that creep factor five thing, you know, like, like, hey, what's up, you know? And so think about it. It's a little bit of that. If the Jesus, he's like, hey, what's up? Like, and then they're trying to sort out their reality, their, their, their challenges, because in verse 38, we're told that they, they, had, they, they were troubled, and had doubts. Can you relate? See, troubled speaks of they were unsettled. They were stirred up. They had a certain fear because of an uncertainty. They knew he went to the grave. They weren't really settled that he was the son of God, that he was the Messiah. He's told them latter part of the ministry, but it just hasn't, hasn't settled in. And then he went to the grave, and now he's rose from the grave, and he appears to them. You, you think of what they're going through. And they're troubled, and they seem, and, and doubts rise in their heart. You know, doubts were welling up, and he was standing right there in front of them. For you and me who think, man, if I would have been there, and I, I do ponder this at times, man, what would it have been like to walk those dusty roads? And I've been so thankful that I've been able to visit Israel a couple times and, and be able to be and see the, see the whole lay of the land. And imagine what it would be like to walk out of Jericho and heading to Jerusalem in this desolate, rugged terrain and talking to him as you go. What would it be like? It would be, man, wouldn't that be, wouldn't you, couldn't you live by that faith? Well, no, you couldn't. It's not enough. See, visual verification does not calm the heart. Only faith calms the heart. A God-given measure of faith that he teaches you how to impart that to believe him. And so here we have these people that are they're troubled and they're, they're uncertain and, and doubts arise, even though he's right there in front of them. I want you to also note that he doesn't, he doesn't come down hard on them. I mean, he really could, couldn't we, logically and, and, and relationally? Like, how many times have I got to tell you this? He doesn't. You notice, notice, this is how he engages with his followers. He's like, guys, come on, it's me. Look, 
I have, I have marks on my hands, and, and there's one on my side and my feet. You know, I, it's, I'm not, because they thought he was a spirit. It's like, I'm not Casper the ghost. You can't put your fingers through. You know, I'm a real person. And they're like, uh, and then notice what he says. Because you know, they're trying to sort all this out, and, and they, they, they marveled. And, and, and he says in verse 41, have you any food here? It's not because he would be like, you have no idea how hungry you get when you're dead. You know how long, you know how hungry you get sitting in a tomb? Oh man, I could use something to eat. There's nothing. There was no bodily need in his resurrected body that he needed to consume food. Why would he do it? For you and me and for those contemporaries at that time. He's going to consume the food to show them, if I'm a spirit, I wouldn't be eating because you'd probably see it in the belly, so to speak. You know what I mean? And so what a, what a patience God shows us. He perfectly and gently meets them in their troubles and their doubts. Because like you and me, as they're looking at this, as they're sorting this out, and then he asks if they have any food, he takes it and eats it in their presence. They knew this. He's alive from the dead. They're trying to figure this all out. Their experience, their, their mind, their heart, their senses, what they've seen, what they heard, all this is just rolling around and the emotions and the truth. He's alive from the dead. And now they're trying to let it all soak in. They're trying to sort of, and you know this feeling, through life struggles and trials and things that don't, turn out the way you thought they were going to be and things unfold so, so heart-wrenching, so tragically sometimes. But if God, if you're that, then how's this? But I know you are, but I don't know how this is. And God, how is this? And God does not get impatient and say, you should know by now. You should know. But he so gently just meets him and he says, do you have any food? We got some leftover fish. You know, that's what we got. And, and we, he just, he just, you think about the engagement because he's the same with you. Let's go now to the next portion in verse 44. And, and I want you to listen closely. I want us to work through this in, with some, some attention because it's so essential. He is now working this audience. I've painted the picture. I've set the scenario. I've connected it to you and me and how we were to be aware that he's that way with us. In verse 44, he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they may comprehend the scriptures. So when I say bringing life back to simplicity and, and recognizing certain things and, and realizing the importance of choices, just consider this real simple truth. God has created us with the ability to speak, to read, to listen, and to learn. We're uniquely made. We're made in the image of God. Humans, people, mankind is different than any other created being. We have the faculties to learn and do amazing things. We're not just a couple clicks above the dolphins. You know what I'm saying? These dolphins are really smart. I mean, well, these are fish. These, they're, they're, they're amazing. Really? If they're so bright, why do they keep swimming into nets? I mean, they're not the sharpest knife in the drawer, if you know what I'm saying. We can't say that we're just uh, a little bit above them. There's no comparison. 
Let's just be honest. In the, in the capabilities and the opportunities and the realities that we are created in the image of God. In, in his image and likeness. We have faculties that are beyond any other thing, any creature we know. He has even given us his word. The Bible. The observable, readable, knowable word of God. And within the Bible is everything that pertains to life and living. Now, Jesus is reminding his followers, okay, I, I, I told you what was going to happen before it happened. And I did that so then when it happened, you would know and believe. Because you've got to admit, that's, that's, a, that's a click above even a human in a sense of capacity. To be able to say ahead of time, this is what's going to happen. And have it unfold perfectly according to the prophecy for the purpose that you and I would be encouraged and know that he knows what he's talking about. He knows that he is who he says that he is. The Bible is so rich, so full of prophecy and telling ahead of time what's going to take place. His birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his return. All this is, is recorded so that we would know. And so here we have him telling his disciples, listen, you have the word. You, you would say it and maybe to paraphrase it, he would say, guys, I walked you through the Old Testament. I went to the law and the prophets and I showed you from the Psalms and I brought you the Proverbs. I revealed the word of God to you for your, for your benefit. I made it known to you. He reminds them what was written. Why is that important? You live in a time, strange time, when the emphasis is put upon feelings so your subjective perception can somehow then alter objective reality. What it means is feeling, what I mean is feelings have taken the place of facts. Both are important, feelings and facts. But facts aren't changed because you don't feel good about the fact. And that's the time we live. So it's so important we, we can look at something that's stable and sure and a foundation by which we can reason from. The very word of God. And he, he's basically showing them as he shows you and I. His ways are not our ways. His ways are not our ways. His ways are much higher and much more intricate. He can take what is horrible and terrible and seems nothing but pure evil. And he can draw good from it. He can draw a life-changing eternal purpose out of it. And so you can't do that. We can only speculatively kind of make a correlation after the fact. Oh, I guess this happened better because that happened. You know, he actually is all interwoven. It's so fascinating to me. His ways are not our ways. We know that in one sense, but we got to remind ourselves, listen, he did it this way because he knows what he's doing. And you would probably say, like I say, well, I don't agree with that. And, and then remind yourself one other thing. I'm, I'm so glad you're all sitting down because this is a transformative truth that will change your life. You are not God. You are not God. He does things in ways that he, he can't actually explain to you. He'll explain to you yeah, gradually like a teacher of mathematics will present to you principles beginning with something as simple as addition and subtraction and later building and bringing you to a deeper understanding of ge geometry and trigonometry or whatever it may be. You, you see that you can't just start here. You've you got to build, you know, for you and I to say, I want to know, the, I want to know why you did this. Can you pour 
55 gallons. That's a pretty big drum, right? You all seen 55 gallon drums? Can you pour 55 gallons into this? It doesn't have the capacity. It doesn't have the capacity. So God perfectly, patiently, and so beautifully pours into us in the perfect measure, in the perfect manner, the pure word of God. He teaches us. He walks us through. And that's what he's doing with these guys. He's just walking them through, teaching them. Now, it says in verse 45 that he opened their understanding that they may comprehend the scriptures. How did he do that? Was this some spiritual thing that just was an experience that was unique to them? Certainly could have been. It's not recorded that way. So we don't know definitively. But I would suggest to you he probably did it the way he's always done things with them. Through revealing reminding and repeating. He revealed the word to them. That's what this text is telling us. I I, I told you before, this is how it's going to shake out. This is how it's going to go down. And so now they're distraught and and now he's reminding them, this is what I said. This This is what I explained to you. He reminds them of what he had said previously and he'll repeat it again because he does that in your life, correct? As you journey with Jesus and you study his word and you open your heart to be taught by him, you'll find certain truths will resonate through your life again and again. It may be a particular passage. For me, it's like Hebrews eleven six about walking by faith. It's Proverbs chapter 3 about, about really like, okay, I, I want to walk in his wisdom. I want to understand how to live. And it just keeps coming back. Because he loves us and he reminds us and he walks us through the word. He teaches us his truth. But let's make sure we're at least receptive. Maybe more than just receptive, we want to be impacted even by the personalities of Scripture where these truths, these principles are brought forth. There's a man in the Old Testament, a man by the name of Joshua. Some of you know of Joshua. God is salvation is kind of what his word means, Jehovah is salvation. But Joshua is going to lead the people into the promised land. Moses has done his part, but Joshua is the man appointed to take them in. And in chapter 1 and 2 of Joshua, Joshua is, is commissioned. He's called, this is what you're to do. But he says, God says to him, take courage, be of good courage. Stay true to the word. Do not depart from it, but literally observe to do. Catch that. He wasn't observed to impress and tell people about what you know. He observed to do. See, the word of God is not meant to be a, a mental storage kept in our cranium. It, it's a, a real-life application put into motion. And so when he's teaching them and he's opened their eyes to the comprehension, he, he's given them an insight. This is, this is how to live. Because in verse 46, he said, This is necessary for the Christ to suffer, to rise from the dead the third day. The birth, the life, the suffering, the death, and bodily resurrection, they were all necessary. It was actually a choice by God. God chose to love humanity. God chose love. In John 3.16, many of you know it, it it holds these beautiful truths in such a a summarized uh, sentence, if you would. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. How do we know God loved the world? It says, it tells you right there. 
that he gave, the action was expressed. He gave his only begotten son because of his love. His love was an action. Well, how do you take hold of that love? How do you experience that love that he gave? By believing in him. Whoever believes on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So that's how his love is revealed. The most misunderstood truth since the beginning of the world, and I I think think I'm, I'm confident I can say this definitively. The single most misunderstood truth since the beginning of the world is that God chose love. That God is love. The world you live in tries to use that word in the English language to mean all kinds of things. And it really is described in much perversion and, and much that's more lust than love. You don't make love. You know, all these other things that's kind of attached to that term. No, no, no. See, it's different. God chose love. A sacrificial extension, expression of, of the action of love. See, love cannot be forced. Agreed? It must be a choice. If you're hardwired to love, it would not be love. I think of the comparison, like for Kim and I, we're coming up on our, our 40th year anniversary. But, you know, when we first started and we're dating and then we decide to, to, to get married and we get married and, and, and once we get married, there's something that's changed physiologically. And, and so we love each other. We make this commitment. We go through the ceremony and then it's changed to where we have no choice but to love each other. We do loving expressions. We just do that. Can we agree that wouldn't be love anymore? Because you don't really have the choice to do otherwise. So any expression would be sterile. It would be lifeless. It would be mechanical. Because there's no choice involved. And so when you consider that, you know, love can't be forced, you, you know, realize what's the greatest example of choosing love. For God so loved the world that he gave himself. That he himself came and he chose to love. You see... God knew before the world began how to express and extend love to humanity. He chose love. Love is not um, just an idea, it's an action. For God so loved, he gave. Love is an action, not just an idea. With that action, there's also a response, or you maybe could think of a reaction. In other words, as we're introduced to the love of God through the person of Jesus Christ, fulfilling the will of the Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit, the triunity of God expressed in his life, as we're sorting that out, there's an action associated with knowing that sacrificial love of God. We, We pick it up here in verse 47. Jesus suffered, rose from the dead, And the result to you and me that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all the world beginning in Jerusalem. Repentance. It's kind of a church word, I think. I never used it in the truck shop. I never used it working on semis. Never told some guy to repent and paint trucks differently. It's not a word you use there. What what does it mean, though? Why why do we need to understand it? Well, we won't use it frequently. In the context, it speaks of turning to him. But in the general sense... You can't go two directions at the same time. You have to choose one or the other. Well, now, wait a minute, Pastor Dan. You can go northwest. There's north and west. Cute. No, you're only going northwest. It's only one direction. Does that make sense? You can't be going this way and this way. 
it's literally repentance. It's that realization of the love given and saying with a measure of regret, man, I, I, I've always been doing it against you. I've always been going this way. Man, even though when I try to do some good things, ultimately I'm just doing my own thing. I'm, I've been going away from you. And I want to go with, this way. So I, 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 I got to choose. And literally that's what it speaks of. I, not, not in a sense of just works, but in this sense. I, I, I was trusting in my own ways. I was trusting that it would all work out in the end. I was trusting that it would be okay eventually. After all, mathematically, as long as I get 51%, I'm going to heaven. There's going to be a lot of good people go to hell. What do I mean? Well, if you're thinking as long as you do enough good to be higher than the bad, God might judge on the curve and you'll get in. That's not true. That's actually... If you found yourself leaning towards that, do you realize that's mocking God? Because if we're embracing any other way by which we can get into heaven, if we think, I'll just wait and see, guess what you're saying? Jesus, you were such a fool. You suffered on the cross. You endured the hostility. You went through the pain. But we can get in by 51%. We can get in by just doing enough good. See, that's trusting in yourself, and there is, you're not going to heaven with that. You cannot get into heaven on your own ability or your own perceptions. It's only by the perfect work of Jesus Christ, putting our faith in him, that we get in. And so that's why he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. I know the culture we live in. I understand how radical that seems. He says... There's only one way by which you can get into heaven, and that's a relationship with the Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, what a jerk. Why, I can't believe they're so restrictive. No, could you reset your thinking a little bit? So someone said, I want to go to Boise. I got enough gas to go 45 miles. I don't have any money. I only got enough to get there. But I had a friend tell me that you can get to Boise by way of Twin Falls. Get on the freeway, see the sign of Twin Falls, and just go. And if you were to say, well, no, 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 wait a minute. Culture right now would say, listen, don't rob me of my opportunity for adventure. Don't rip me off. You're saying I have to go that direction. I believe I can go this way. And I have a sense of peace and confidence. I feel good by going to Twin Falls. I will arrive at Boise. Don't be a jerk and be so restrictive. And you hopefully would say, listen, I, I can deal with the name calling and stuff, but I hate to break it to you, you ain't making it. There's only one way that on your resources with what you're dealing with, there's only one way you're getting to Boise. And this is the route. Uh, and you know what I'm talking about. There's people get all huffy puffy and all kind of wound up and keyed up and popping a gasket. It's like, because I, I, you're definitive in a compassionate way, I hope. He is the only way by which we can get into heaven. He's he's revealing to his disciples, this is how it goes down. This is how it is. Consider the next portion as we're getting close to wrapping this up in verse 48. You and you are witnesses of these things. They, at that time, were witnesses of these things. Agreed? They were the ones that seen it all unfold, but you are a witness as well. It's passed on from generation to generation, the truth, what we know to be the word of God. But that isn't the thing that they've seen exclusively. They've seen lives changed. 
They did see the risen Lord. And we know we just looked at what they struggled with to comprehend about that reality. But they also seen lives changed. They've seen the next generation. And if you read Acts 1 and 2, you'll see that this, this transforming power continued to take place and it continues to change humanity. It continues to bring hope to you and me. It continues to produce born-again people. We are witnesses of that. We get to declare that. We get to, to be that. We're a living example of his new life for those who are born again, born of the Spirit. Verse 49 tells you and me, you can take this as homework and look at Acts 1 and 2, but you need the power of God in the presence of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. You need the power of God to live the life for God. You can't begin in the Spirit, born again because of repentance and humility, inviting him in and say, okay, I got it from here. You will fail miserably. You will find yourself constantly in a state of confusion. He's saying, listen, you, you go to Jerusalem and wait. He will empower you to be his witnesses within this world. We're too close to stop. We've got to finish the chapter, verse 50. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. Let me just say in that last portion, the realization, the change, their lives were changed. They, they now were different people, not just because of this few verses we've looked at, but because of the, the work of God in the person of Jesus Christ. They are making different choices. Their lives were beautifully and wonderfully changed. Forgiven, born again, they have this new life. They have new choices to make. And, and I would just say, you too, you know, it's your choice. Choose wisely. Choose love. Choose love. Before we depart, I have to address an issue that's in our culture. And for those of you who are struggling in today's cancel culture, some of you have had children cancel you, grandchildren cancel you. Understand this, you can't cancel love. You can't cancel love. It's not a subscription. You understand that? You can't cancel love. Some may withhold their love. They may not express love to you, but they cannot cancel your love for them. So important because you're not relying on the relationship to reciprocate. You're relying on the love that comes from God to extend love to people. And so learning is just like, you know what? I'm going to cherish my memories, but I'm going to choose love. Don't let somebody else's choices change you in the wrong way. Choose love. Now maybe someone's listening and catching this message and they've been tricked by the cancel clowns. Understand this. Hate is a heavy burden to carry. Hate is a heavy burden to carry. It gets heavier the longer you hold on to it. It produces anger, frustration, discouragement, loneliness, and more hate. And when you go against love, your list of unlovable people will grow until you don't even like yourself. That's a sad truth in our world right now. So many are embracing things that are just tearing them up. I would just say choose love. 
learn from Jesus what love really is and choose love. Worship team's gonna come back up. We're gonna return to John three sixteen as they work their way up here and consider how, do, how does this affect our day? How does this change our Sunday night or Monday? Well, it's real simple. I just wanna get to know Jesus. I wanna get to know Jesus. I, I'm not there yet. I'm learning as I go. I, I'm closer than I used to be, but I've got so much that more that I wanna learn and I wanna know. I can't argue with people when they say the church is a bunch of hypocrites. I can't argue when people look at other people that profess to be Christians and say, well, I don't want to be like that. I'm not going to argue that. I don't know your life experience, and I I do know church history. But I will say, I, I will discuss with you concerning the person, the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. You get to know Jesus, and don't worry about that other stuff. You get to know him and see how that impacts your life. Don't reject someone, don't reject something, the gospel, the good news given to you, this invitation from God. Don't reject that without getting your information. It's just a bad idea. You get to know him, and I, I, I would just encourage you, you, you get to know him, you get to that, and if you want to come to me and say, hey, I still have issues, I would love to sit down and talk to you. I've offered that for 23 years. I've offered that deal. Hey, I'll, I'll gladly meet with you. I'd love to hear your case against Christ. I've never had anybody take me up on it. They'll argue about Christianity till they're blue in the face, but they won't reject Jesus Christ when they get to know him. Get to know Jesus. Will you stand with me? We'll close in a word of prayer. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for meeting us in our heartache, our hurts, our trouble, and our doubts. Each season seems to have something new, but you are faithful. Thank you, God. And I guess as we would consider in a way, what category am I in? Those of you who know you're born again, you've experienced this touch, I want to encourage you, stay the course, steadfast, immovable, eyes upon Jesus. Anyone who finds himself born again but too closely attached to this world. Loosen your grip on this world and take a firm grip upon Jesus. Direct your attention to him and turn it away from the things of this life. And perhaps you just haven't made that first step. Ponder the truth you've heard. Consider Jesus. If you don't know this new life, I I encourage you get to know God in the person Jesus Christ. I I would even say you can start in this very simple way. It's important that you start admitting that you need him. You already know you have sin. You already know you have things you need to be forgiven of. You have to receive his forgiveness to be able to spend eternity with him. What you've done resulted in death sentence because you've rejected God but look at his faithfulness his gentleness and kindness as he speaks to you come to me speak to me so it would be this simple God you know how to do all this stuff but I know I need forgiveness I agree I, I have issues that have separated me from you sin I guess you call it and I would ask you to forgive me Jesus help me to know what it means to follow you. I, I, 
confess if I'm born again, you're my father, then you will teach me as your child how to live this new life. Help me to turn from those things that kept me from you. Help me to know you as you are. My faith is in you and I don't even know what that looks like. I'll put my trust in you because you rose from the grave. You conquered death and hell and I don't know how to do it. But I do believe you are God and you will teach me. God, thank you for this time for you love us and you proved your love by rising from the dead, ascending into heaven and reminding us you're with us and you'll return. It's in your name we pray. In your name we sing this song, Jesus. Amen. Amen.